Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film The Fly. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but it probably helps if you have. So if you do proceed, just be aware that there are light plot spoilers for the film The Fly. Enjoy. So, so I borrowed Claire's Windows laptop and plugged in the interface and stuff and like there was just crackling noises coming from it the whole time. It's like Windows is, forgive me if I just come across as a snob, but Windows is just shit, isn't it? <laughs> it really, it really is, you know, like we've got, we've got Windows 7 at work now and that's a big new thing. And Windows 7 was the last time that, that PC laptops had a good operating system. Yeah. And literally every single one since then has been diabolical, and they're basically unusable if you want to do anything at all. Yeah, Claire's is um, on Windows 10. Yeah, it's, it's just awful. I don't understand how people can use them. It's, yeah, mind-boggling. Windows 10 looks nice, but it's just, yeah. It, I can And I can find all the things that I need to find, like the settings. It's just that when you change the setting to say, please output the audio from the interface, it says, okay, I'll do that. And then doesn't do it. <laughs> it can it can tell that you're a Mac user, Paddy, and it's just like I ain't doing shit for you, mate. That is a hundred percent how it feels. It's like it's deliberately trolling me because it knows I'm not a Windows person. <laughs> oh. oh, that's good. Anyway, that's good. enough talk about that shit. How's how's your week going so far? It's Tuesday. It's, it's Tuesday, but it feels like a Thursday. That's how my week's going so yeah. far. I feel tired, tired of everything. It's been it's been a difficult, difficult week so far. Oh shit! Um, however, I I did uh, after I got home from work today. I I did cut back our monster hedge, and uh, so I, I I smell nice and pine fresh. I smell like a new car, and uh, and we have a vaguely cut hedge, which is all right. Um, we also we had our new bathroom installed last week, so we now have a shiny, shiny new bathroom. Oh, nice! Which is, which is very nice. Yeah. Um, so I'm incredibly poor, but I can now have a really nice bath and light lots of candles, get some nice bubbles on the go. There is on, nothing like a some... good bath, is there? No. Yeah, a, a good bath it just cures everything that's wrong. It's it's great, and yeah, it's it's good. We're, we're liking the new bathroom a lot. That's awesome, man. I'm really happy for you. So it didn't take them long to get it in. It's all done. There isn't more work to be done. No, that's everything now. Um, the only things that we have to do is there's a couple of um, like bits that we have to fill in in the walls where they had to take out like the old shower rail and things like that um and uh and yeah that's it and then you're just gonna need to decide what color to paint the walls sweet um which is yeah it's gonna be gonna be awesome when it's all finished that's fantastic speaking of baths i watched this week's most of this week's film in the bath oh did you yeah oh i downloaded it onto onto my apple iphone not my windows 10 phone because apparently they exist but you know, <laughs> um, yeah, I downloaded it onto my phone. And I started watching it in the bath and I was very, I was so captivated that I ended up 
sitting in there for an hour when I was I only intended to take sort of half an hour at most. It was it was very very good just holding my phone in the bath. It was great. Did, Obviously, you run the risk of dropping it in the bath, but it was worth it's it. It's true. Did you come out as pruney and gross looking as Jeff Goldblum I, I, in this film? I felt like it when I got out. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was hunched hunched over. Yeah, with big staring eyes. Have you ever heard of bath time politics? Neither have I. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be the first ever bath time politician. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should form a new political party, the bath time party. It couldn't be any worse party. than the Tories. No, um, I, I've, I've been enjoying watching their absolute disintegration over the course of their conference. Um, whilst also simultaneously being incredibly depressed that they're the leading party in this nation. Um, yeah, I'm not really following it, but I just keep getting random little snippets on Twitter, which seem to be mostly Theresa May done a robotic speech. Brexit means Brexit. Although I did enjoy, here's our, our weekly Jacob Rees-Mogg update, for which we still don't have a jingle, um, a protester telling him to his face that he's despicable. Yeah, I liked that. It was good. It was well done, mate. Yeah. Whoever the protester was, total total approval from us. Legend. Um, but Boris Johnson in a, <laughs> a, a Boris Johnson update for those of you who haven't seen, um, our our foreign secretary tried to read out a colonial era poem in a Myanmar temple. Oh no, I did see um, that, and uh, and got stopped by uh, by the ambassador before he could read out the bit that's incredibly offensive about Buddha. Um, and he, he, this is the person who represents us on a global scale. Yeah. Uh, it's great. It's great. And he, and he's apparently gearing up to take over to try and become prime minister at the moment. Yeah. Um, This is a guy who can't, can't be trusted to specifically not insult the God of the temple that he's in on a foreign relations mission. (laughs) Most of the places he goes, he insults the people of that place, you know? Liverpool or and then he's he's in some other place using racist terminology and then he's writing an article in the Telegraph using racist terminology and then it's like well in the last conservative leadership race he was going to be leader and then he sort of backed down for no apparent reason and let Theresa May have it it's like is he going to try again or is he happy with just being flown around the world insulting people and making everyone think that England is like that which to be fair a lot of it is (laughs) <laughs> and i deliberately I mean, don't I, include scotland wales and ireland in that i um i'd quite enjoy the job of flying around the world and insulting people as long as i had the control over who i insulted so yeah. if i could like just go over to the states and go up to donald trump or mike pence and just be like shake their hand and then lean over and just whisper in their ear you're a ball bag <laughs> yeah oh. Nice orange complexion, you orange. <laughs> exactly. Nothing too in nothing too insulting. Just things like that. Yeah. Ne- ne- nothing below the belt. No. Um, I think that would be my perfect job. Yes. Yeah. Why he's insulted everyone but Donald Trump from the looks of things. And if if there's any person in this world who needs insulting more than Donald Trump, I cannot think of them. He he did get into a little spat with with the Trumpster, didn't he? Oh really? Um, yeah, a bit ago. But then I think um, he realised that he was then going to have to be on the same side as Sadiq Khan, and he kind of stopped. 
and no. rolled over and showed his showed his belly to Trump. Um, now there's an image. <laughs> Do you think that's a part of the P tape? The P tape, the the wee wee tape. Oh yeah, yeah. The wee wee tape. Yeah. I reckon Boris was in on that for sure. I mean, maybe that's why he stood down as in in his leadership bid last time because it was clear that like Michael Gove had something on him. So maybe Michael Gove has has the P tape Michael featuring Gove Boris had peed on him. Maybe he he looks like the sort, doesn't he? Yeah, um, definitely. I heard um, someone once describe Michael Gove as looking like a Victorian sex doll, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is very accurate. Uh, yeah, that that's entirely accurate. Actually, he does have that kind of like wooden complexion. Yeah, he's got like, the kind of. He, he to me he looks like um like the villain of like an 80s kids movie but not like the main villain you know like the really officious little weedy guy who tries to get in their way of like the kids in an 80s movie yeah and they just push him over and they're like see you later grandpa yeah yeah the guy the guy is like you haven't finished your homework yet that kind of guy yeah that- a mean teacher yeah, the the mean but weak teacher, and there'd be like it's just there to provide a joke later on when sort of two thirds of the way through the movie, Finn Wolfhard runs up to him and knees him in the nuts. <laughs> but before that moment, of course, Finn Wolfhard's name was not Finn Wolfhard, but he earned it by kneeing Michael Gove in the scrot. <laughs> you got you you've got to earn your Wolfhard. <laughs> Go wolf harder or go home. <laughs> wolf harder, wolf better, wolf stronger. <laughs> Die wolf hard. <laughs> there's a lot. There's so much you could do with it. Can we get him on as a guest? Uh, guest guest big boy. I would absolutely love that. Actually, I might. I might see if I can get in touch with him and be like, "Oi, Finn, wolf hard, we love you." come chat about movies with us we're your biggest fans i reckon he i reckon he'd be game and that he would have insightful things to say about um romantic films he seems precocious and advanced ahead of himself in his years oh for sure for sure he's great um i've yet to see him in anything where i've disliked him either he's always been awesome yeah in everything well the only thing i've seen him in is stranger things but that's enough for me i've still not seen it has he been in anything else oh yeah I don't know. That's what I've seen him in, and he's been great in both. So I'll have to have to see if he's in anything else. Yeah. So you also went to see Mother, or should it be Mother? <laughs> it should be Mother. <laughs> mother. Um, yeah, I did um, go and see Mother. Your your description of it, I I don't want to let you forget this that you described it to me in text. You said it is pure dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Which tickles me. No, no, um, no! Yeah. Half, half cut dog shit. Pure dog shit. <laughs> yeah, it, pure, pure Colombian dog shit. No, no mongrel shit here. Way. No, um, it's the finest dog shit this side of Crufts. Um, <laughs> it, it, Best in show, ladies and ladies and gentlemen who are thinking about going to see Mother, um, don't. <laughs> don't do it it's really bad like i'm i i'm quite a fan of the the pretentious movies 
um, and like art house movies and stuff like that. I'm quite happy to sit through something that's obviously so far up its own ass. It's not true. Um, but even I could not stomach Mother. I, I I very rarely consider walking out of films, but it was one where I nearly did because I was just like, I could be doing so much more with my time than watching this film. Wow. So like the, fir- the first 45 minutes or so are all right. So you've got Javier Bardem, the tortured artist. He's a poet and he's having trouble writing. He's a very um, good and actor. And yeah, it's full of great actors. It's got um, Jennifer Lawrence, Javier Bardem, Ed Harris, Michelle Pfeiffer, Domhnall Gleeson. Um, it's, it's full of it's it's full of incredible talents. But the plot is is I mean, it's an art house movie. It's not going to be the most plot heavy thing in the world, but it's just so unbelievably heavy handed with its message. And it sort of flits between sort of talking about the idea of the muse and the writer, talking about the idea of God and Mother Nature, and it's just a complete mess. And it's really frustrating. Um, you'll get really annoyed watching it. Um, and there's this there's this constant repetition of like scenes and things like that. And there's there's parts that are like unbelievably grotesque as well for no good reason. And like, as as you can probably gather, people who've watched this week's movie, The Fly, they they can probably guess that I'm not a, I don't have an issue with a grotesque film. You're a man um, who enjoys a grotesquerie, I should say. Yes, yeah, exactly. Sometimes they call you bit... the grotesquerie chicken. <laughs> oh, if I hadn't already chosen my horror-themed Twitter handle for, for this month, that would be it. Um yeah it's 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 total shite i've never been more bored in a movie where someone gets their jaw blown off (laughs) like you you shouldn't be able to get bored in a movie where that happens you shouldn't be able to get bored in a movie where where jennifer lawrence goes ape shit with a shard of glass and starts stabbing up people but it's it's dull and repetitive and pretentious and it's not particularly well filmed either which like if i'm if i'm gonna watch an art house movie i want it to be pretty like if you're gonna try and put theme over substance and style over substance at least let there be style Hmm. but there isn't so it it kind of falls down everywhere um apart from michelle pfeiffer's great so go in watch the first 45 minutes and then leave and you'll probably come out with a pretty decent experience rather than a Um, severe case of javier boredom yeah exactly <laughs> he um the film we could talk about on this podcast later on perhaps is um Vicky Cristina Barcelona which Clara and I watched recently and his performance in that even though it's the the archetypal absolutely in- horrendously hackneyed cliched Woody Allen version of an artist torturing himself and torturing other people and just generally being up himself his performance is so good that it manages to transcend that and he's such a uh, yeah he's a really great actor so it's just, i'm sorry to hear that he he has done that yeah he, he's good in it because he's javier bardem so he could he could make anything enjoyable with his presence but he's yeah it's a bad it's a bad 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 movie oh. don't go watch it um i mainly just wanted I'm, to I'm, ask you about it so that i could feel vindicated in my my feeling that darren aronofsky is a pretentious knob Apart <laughs> the wrestler excluded, which is a really good film. I see. I I I've still got hope for him. I I enjoy most of his movies, um, 
but yeah, mother was was not was not one of them. Yeah, get get in the bin, <laughs> get in the bin. But I am still very intrigued to see where he goes next because I like people who shake it up and cause controversy. So from that from that point of view, I'm intrigued to see what he will do next. In the same way as I'm always interested to see what Shia LaBeouf will do next. Maybe they'll do a movie together next. I would love that. Called Father. <laughs> Father. <laughs> where, uh, yeah, where Shia LaBeouf is, is Father Time instead of Mother Nature. No. And yeah, that'll work. That oh, get, Send me the check now, Darren Aronofsky. Yeah, don't steal that Come idea. <laughs> yeah. You owe us money. Yep. You artistic bull bag. <laughs> With your lofty ideals. <laughs> Why didn't you go and make us a Transformers movie, you dick? Instead of trying to give us art. Yeah. What? Yeah. You got nothing on Michael Bay. Why didn't you make us Requiem for a Dream 2, Requiem Harder? <laughs> Requiem Finn Wolf Harder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you know what film is a lot better than Mother? The Fly. It, it is indeed. Um, so, so, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Spooky Horror Month. <laughs> I don't know why I covered up my mouth to do that. <laughs> I I did the same thing. I don't know why. It just <laughs> does that make um, it more spooky? I think it does. Yeah, there's a mystery involved if you cover your mouth, isn't there? Um, yeah. So, so for October, we will be watching uh, romantic horror movies. So like romantic movies that have a horror tinge or horror movies that give a big emphasis on the romance side um and so the first movie that we we have watched um is david cronenberg's the fly and did you enjoy it paddy i really enjoyed it i think this is a really good film to kick off this this whole romantic horror month um, but yeah, I enjoyed it on a number of levels. Having never seen it before as well, it's really nice to see a film from the 80s, especially that has aged well, I think. Um, it didn't feel at all dated. Even the sort of computer sequences and that kind of thing could have looked a bit cheesy, but all the all the effects were really good. I think if you'd kind of CGI'd a bunch of the fly stuff, it actually would have looked worse. Like all the costumes, everything about it just really, really worked for me. But I think part of it is because I I don't watch... I watch probably the odd sci-fi film and the odd horror film. Like, I'm not averse to them, but I don't actively seek them out. Although I've wanted to see this this film for a while. Um, but yeah, the, these kind of films always feel a bit more novel to me. So I think if you watch a lot of films like this, you might have be a bit more jaded about it. But it is kind of a classic, isn't it? And it, it was Cronenberg's highest grossing film, at least at the time, right? Yeah, I think it... It may well have been his highest grossing film ever. I'm not sure. Um, But it's, yeah, it's a great movie. Um, And and you're right. A lot of it, it still feels very real. It still feels very visceral to watch. And a lot of that comes down to the fact that there is this reliance on practical effects, which is a trademark of David, David Cronenberg. Mm. Um, He's always put an emphasis on, on the real when it comes to that. Um, and so, and it and it won an Oscar for best makeup. Wow! Um, well, well it's, deserved. It's, yeah, it's it's that good. It is a gross movie, and the transformations involved yeah. um, are, are still horrible to look at. 
to this day. Mm, it's absolutely um, disgusting. But at the same time, less is more. And it really nails it by actually not going hard on the, the disgusting scenes at all. They're actually few and far between. So they, they pepper the film and there are more and more of them as it progresses to the kind of inevitable conclusion but it's not gratuitous in any way and I really really appreciated that and that I think that element of it really allowed the romantic plot to shine through I think yeah exactly and like David Cronenberg he's got this reputation as being a director who uh creates horrible grotesque scenes but that they are all the more powerful in his films because they take place very rarely. Um, so he's great at building characters and building tension in his movies. Um, and sort of like, so you, when these scenes happen, they're shocking because they come out of nowhere. So in Videodrome, for instance, there's a couple of very horrible scenes, but that's it. The rest of the movie is all based around building this tension, building up the character relationships and sort of like seeing where it takes you the same with films like existence um he's a he's a great director from that regard but i think possibly with the fly it completely nailed it um and it completely nailed like creating a very realistic relationship between these two quite bizarre people as well um and so you really feel for them in this film and you you really feel for what they're going through and it's a completely oddball out of this world experience that they're having it's a totally unique experience that this couple's going through um but you still feel like you're with them every step of the way if you know what i mean yeah i really empathized with both of them even though when the film opens and from the the beginning of it jeff goldblum's character um seth brundle great name um immediately comes across as a creep and he's got he's got a creepy demeanor his eyes he's got these kind of bug eyes and he's talking about himself and his own work um at this party and then she somehow agrees to go to the creepy man's lab <laughs> which is that that was the only thing that struck me as maybe a bit odd if i was her i'd have been like hell no but i guess she's got to think about her journalistic career or maybe she was interested or whatever but yeah you really really feel for both of them him for you know, his invention. And then once they, they start going out, you really want their romance to work and you, you really root for both of them um, for it for it to work. And obviously it doesn't, but it, yeah, the whole thing, it's actually really, it's the story of a romance gone wrong and ruined by death and disease. I think apparently Cronenberg um, didn't intend it, but I read that a lot of people read it, read it as an allegory for AIDS as well, which was obviously a big deal at the time, 86. So it's, it's really, it's, it's a romance ruined by disease rather than a horror film or a sci-fi film or whatever. Not that the distinction really matters, but that was how it came across for me. Yeah. And I, and I think that's part of the reason why it's, why it's proven the test of time so well is that, this is a movie that, yeah, it has these amazing sci-fi and horror set pieces in it. Um, but at the end of the day, what really rings true in it and what makes you feel so powerfully about this movie is the characters themselves. And yeah, they're great. Um, so so for hopefully a lot of you have watched the movie in advance because there's going to be plenty of spoilers along the way of this discussion. Yeah. Um, but for those of you who, those of you who haven't... Um, 
effectively gina davis is a uh, she plays a journalist who's investigating um up-and-coming scientific breakthroughs and she goes along to this party and she meets a, a scientist called seth brundle um who says that he's got this discovery that's going to change the face of the world as we know it um so she goes back to his creepy creepy lab in the middle of nowhere um and uh he has cre- derelict building yes <laughs> Um, and he has created um, teleportation. He has made teleportation real. Um, with one problem, he cannot transport organic material. Um, and so that is just the final step towards having perfect teleportation technology. And like, it feels very exciting when you see this. And like, nothing bad happens in this movie, not to a huge extent anyway for quite a while and you'll kind of spend a lot of time with the two of them as she spends time filming him and writing about him uh she's go she's going to get this exclusive deal to write about this discovery before it and then when it gets announced she'll be the person who shares it um and sort of they spend time together they learn to love each other um and he's trying to perfect this technology and she sort of helps him along the way and things like that um and yeah it's it's really nice the way that they build it up and like i mean obviously something is going to go horribly wrong because the tagline of this movie is the iconic be afraid be very afraid was Um, this definitely the first ever usage of that i believe so yeah i'm not i'm not sure for certain but i think it was the first one to do it because it's something that um mel mel brooks was the producer of this movie um, although he kind of he hid it from people mm. because he didn't want everyone to know because then they might not take it seriously and think it was a comedy yeah um and i think it's something that he came up with um for it so i think this is the the origin of of that tagline wow that's cool yeah, i was it's, not it's aware awesome. of that um and um but yeah obviously things do go wrong and you get a sense quite early on that that uh that bad things are going to happen um he tries to send a baboon through the teleporter and it comes out as a as a gooey meat puppet on the other side yeah and it's all writhing Um, and stuff which is quite yeah it's a really it's a really horrible scene and like yeah david cronenberg does body horror like nobody else um his he he makes horrible horrible things to look at that affect you in the way that he intends um and like it's it's yeah it's it's really horrible um but then you reach the you reach the scene where jeff goldblum has got drunk he doesn't know if he can trust gina davis He's got this like jealousy and he decides that he's just going to do it and he's going to go through the teleporter. He thinks he's got it all sussed out. And so he jumps in, but... He's tested it on a monkey, hasn't he? He has, yeah. So he's tested it on the other baboon. The other baboon has... Which is a real cute baboon, actually. It is. And it it Uh, comes out and it jumps on him and he hugs it. Like it's a a friend. You really feel for the baboon. It's like it really... You feel like it wants to help him and it's... Yeah. It's good. It's very well done. Very good performance from it, the baboon. It, it it is very well done. Um, I am going to later on break your heart by telling you what they originally had planned for the baboon and what they originally filmed for the baboon. Um, oh. But for now, we'll just pretend that the baboon helped him, and then it went on to live a happy, happy life elsewhere. Um, in the baboon farm. But, uh, in the baboon farm. 
<laughs> and uh, yeah, so so Jeff Goldblum he decides right. Well, it's worked on my monkey mate. Um, let's go through the teleporter myself, and so he does. However, a housefly is in the teleporter with him, and uh, he comes out the other side, and there's all this mist, and you're like, oh no, what's he? What's he going to have turned into? And he comes out, and he looks absolutely fine now at this point i have to talk about the simpsons because i um my only kind of awareness of this film comes from the simpsons tree before i saw it came from the simpsons treehouse of horror parody of it in which bart gets into a teleporter with a fly and immediately comes out as a half fly half bart thing and then i think there's like a fly with bart's face and they have to get them both yeah. back into the teleporter. So I assumed um, that when Jeff Goldblum got in with the fly, that he was immediately going to come out as like a, a horrible half-man, half-fly monster, and I was waiting for it. And then he came out all normal, and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, and, and that's because um, this is a remake of a 1950s movie with Vincent Price. Yeah. Um, and in that version, yes, uh, he comes out and he's got a big fly head, and then there's also a tiny fly with his head on it. Oh right. Um, okay. And so and so originally it that there was um, just to give you a little bit of context about the 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 sort of state of movies at the time. Over the course of the late seventies through to the eighties, there were three remakes of nineteen fifties horror movies, all of which that were originally based on like pulp fiction. Yeah. So you had The Fly, which was a uh, a pulp story, made into a movie in the 50s and then remade in the 80s. Um, you had Invasion of the Body Snatchers, mm-hmm. uh, which was made in the 50s, then remade in the late 70s, which also stars Jeff Goldblum. Um, mm-hmm. And then there was The Thing, which was originally a short story called Who Goes There, made into a horror movie in the 50s and then remade in the 80s by John Carpenter. Yeah. Um, and um it, th- these three movies the 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 70s and 80s versions whenever someone brings up that uh oh remakes are always rubbish i always bring up these three movies because all of them vastly surpassed not only the original film but the original source material in terms of their quality and they're like three of the greatest horror movies ever made yeah um, and it's I think it's unfair to say that remakes are always rubbish, isn't it? That's kind of a, a stupid yeah. sweeping statement. I can understand why people think that. It's more that it's like, well, you look at f- sort of films 10 to 20 years on and they're making a remake and it's like, why are you remaking that? Because the original's very good. Unless you're doing something like um, David Cronenberg or John Carpenter where you have a very specific vision for it. And th- I mean, the gulf between 50s filmmaking and 80s filmmaking is massive. Whereas people sort of remaking eighties films now, I, I'm trying to think of one, but I can't even think of any. But like, yeah, I can understand why people think that. Are there any more recent remakes that are good? I don't know. There, were, in terms of terrible remakes of eighties movies, there was uh, Red Dawn. That was, oh, yeah. uh, and I, I, I think what makes the difference with a good remake is giving it to a director with vision and allowing them to pursue that vision to the end. Um, so John Carpenter, when he remade The Thing, that's one of the greatest movies of all time. It's genuinely an incredible horror movie. Um, absolutely terrifying mm-hmm. um, with, again, some of the best practical effects that have ever been seen in cinema. It's a, it's a phenomenal movie. At the time when it came out, everybody hated it. But 
Um, but it's it's gone on to stake a claim as one of the greatest horror movies ever, and for good reason. It's it's great. I think um, I remember watching f- that with you and maybe Rob Sherman at your parents' house at some point a number of years ago. Yeah, I think so, probably. Mm, that's um, good. And in my head, I thought that David Cronenberg did it, and then I realised I'd mixed up David Cronenberg and John Carpenter in my head. And then also in my head... Um, David Lynch is in that mix as well, so it's you know you know how I say that all superhero films are Transformers: Dark of the Moon. It's a similar thing to that. <laughs> <laughs> but now that I've watched The Fly, it's all straightened out. I know who they all are. It's all good. There we go. There we go. Yeah, if there's if there's grubby looking industrial areas, it's probably a David Cronenberg movie. Yeah. That's like the main thing. If it looks like it was filmed in a grubby part of Canada. Then, as David Cronenberg has made it, um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, and and like, and 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 again, you can see here that David Cronenberg cre- clearly had like a real vision for this movie, and and it shines through completely. Whereas, like today, I was thinking about this because they 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 did like a prequel to the Thing a few years back, and um, they gave it to this director and I can't remember who made it, but they wanted to use entirely practical effects and, and they spent a load of money and a load of time building these practical effects for the film. And apparently they were looking incredible. Um, and, and people were really excited about it. However, then the producers, the studio got cold feet, scrapped it all and made them do it all CGI. And it, and it looked cheap it looked bad and it dated almost instantaneously and like would would the fly have been as good if the studio and if if for instance mel brooks is a producer if he had not let david cronenberg see it through to the end with what he wanted to do um if 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 the fly was remade today um is there anybody out there who you believe could do as good a job and could pack as an emotional a punch as the david cronenberg version without studio interference softening it and i'm not sure if you could i reckon darren aronofsky could do it with shia labeouf as seth brundy (laughs) he'd he'd have to be um he'd have to go back to the 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 fly man and the man fly though yeah yeah (laughs) A, a fly with shia labeouf's face on it going going just do it (laughs) just swat it (laughs) Um, don't let your flies be flies and and i was and i was thinking about it because like there's a there's a few directors who i believe could do a good job of of remaking the fly like guillermo del toro is a great director Mm. for horror He's also got a really good eye for romance, so I imagine he'd be able to do it. He'd he'd probably build like a really big gothic uh laboratory, for instance, because he's got those great gothic overtones. So he would be able to give a really unique spin on this story. Um but is there anyone who would allow him to make the movie that he wants to make? That's that's the other question, is would would he be able to do it? Um apart from that, you've got a lot of very good young up and coming horror directors around at the moment. But at the same time, some of the studios that are creating these films, um, they have very strict requirements for the films that they make. Um, one of which is that every movie has to end with a jump scare. I think it's Blumhouse yeah. Productions who makes who makes a lot of really good horror movies, but you kind of notice a lot of them, they have like a jump scare at the end. And that's because that's a requirement of the studio that they want that in place. 
Um, right. And it's kind of it's ruined some some really good horror movies by making sure that you have that little little jump at the end of the movie. Um, in particular, there's a really good horror movie called Sinister, which came out a few years back, which has a really chilling ending until like old old demon face pops up right at the end to scare the audience before the credits roll and it's like oh no whereas before it could have sort of like a a a shining-esque slow burn ending um and yeah so it's just like do you do you have the same kind of maverick storytellers out there like david cronenberg and would they have the same power because like there's there's no movies that are really like the fly it's a really unique film I think that was part of the reason why I was so captivated by it is even in terms of a lot of the films we watch for this podcast or other films that I watch, it was really unlike anything that I usually watch. I hadn't watched anything like that in a very, very long time where, as you say, he was building the tension really, really well and that nothing bad happened for eight, for about half an hour. And I hadn't thought of it in that way, but the first half hour is all relatively slow. Things just happening. Okay, I think maybe you have the, the baboon not going through the teleporter but it's set up that you expect that because you know that he hasn't managed to perfect it yet so it's like everything's normal and then everything starts gradually falling apart but at the same time there are conversations between her and Stathis Morans who is the the boss of the magazine and her ex-boyfriend and all that that kind of love triangle plot is building as well and his kind of um and Seth Brundle's desire for his invention all of people's desires and wants and all that stuff is being set up but it's done very, very well and very elegantly through lots of scenes in which you, you start to care for these people and root for them. But yeah, nothing. it's not like endless bad stuff is being thrown at you and you're supposed to pick through it and dissect it and try and work your way through it because that's horror. It's more about building tension and building suspense, like Stephen King. It's, it's from the Stephen King school of building suspense, I'd say. Yeah, I totally agree with that, actually. Um, it's It's really are like artistically done the way that the suspense is built in this film and it and it keeps you at a knife edge the entire way through because i mean if you took this out of context the first half hour or so um it could almost be like a slightly off the wall romantic comedy in places where you've got like oh this is a really awkward slightly creepy scientist and he's falling in love with um with this journalist um, oh, but then there's this love triangle because her ex-boyfriend is her editor. Blah 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 blah. Like that could that could form that could form like a pretty decent romantic plot in its own right. Um, but in the back of your mind, you've got wait, this is a David Cronenberg horror movie based on a, a fairly well-known thing where I know that at some point this guy's going to turn into a fly. Um, and so, yeah, it, it it just knows how to keep the audience like on the edge of their seats and like wince expecting the worst at every opportunity. But it, it knows exactly when to strike with things to start going wrong. Um, and then you're just kind of stuck in this tragic downward spiral of of watching Seth Brundle as he effectively disintegrates and he loses who he was before. But it happens with peaks and troughs as well. There are, there are moments where you feel like maybe he's getting better or that there are positives or whatever. Like there's a really long scene where he's jumping around and kind of 
he's um like doing like really powerful exercises and he's he's doing chin-ups on the bar and stuff and it goes on for a little bit longer than necessary but you're, you're like okay he's got superhuman strength this is gonna be awesome he's gonna be like a superhero film and then there are moments when like he's calling her and being like can you come help and it's like yes he's disintegrated but maybe because she's helping him it's all gonna be okay and then you find out that she's pregnant and you don't know what's gonna happen with the baby and i have to say the thing that freaked me out the most was actually not the the his sort of proper transformation into the hideous flyman creature at the end but the moment where she has the dream and dreams that she gives birth to this kind of embryonic sack that's like wriggling that that really freaked me out that i thought was absolutely disgusting yeah that that's a horrible horrible scene and and you're right that kind that stuck with me for a long time after i initially watched this movie i thought it was i thought it was awful but again it, it works in in the way that david cronenberg intended it then that like every movie kind of has one scene that sticks with an audience and shocks an audience and i think for a lot of people it was that that dream sequence um a little fun fact for you the uh doctor in that scene in the dream sequence was david cronenberg no way yeah that's him <laughs> um, does he always he have makes a cameo? No, he doesn't actually. He doesn't always have a cameo. He does. He he has a major role in a Clive Barker um, adaptation. I can't remember what the movie is, um, where he plays like the villain, and it's all about this uh, this group of monsters that lives under the ground. Uh, but they're like good. Um, they're they're like the good guys of the movie, and he's kind of like this person who's going after them. All right. Um, uh nightbreed it's called um and he's yeah and he 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 plays the main villain in this in this in this movie wow um so he's he's a pretty he's a pretty good actor is old david cronenberg man of many talents Um, and a canadian as well so and a canadian in fact his he got his first break entirely through funding from the canadian film board i think so many Um, canadians did not just in film but in like literature and art and music and a lot of the things that i've seen there's a film called um one week that i want us to talk about as well um which also is, I think, almost fully funded by the Canadian Arts Council. And I'd imagine that in this neoliberal age, they're probably cutting back. But um, yeah, there's still so much great funding going on. And there's nothing like that in the US and certainly nothing like that here. No, no, they, they used to be over here, but, but not anymore, which is a real shame because cause the, um, the British version funded quite a lot of great movies. Hmm. Um, but he, he caused quite a lot of controversy actually by getting that funding because his first movie is quite, it's about these weird little worm things that take over an apartment block. Um, and like they kind of, it's kind of like invasion of the body snatchers esque, not made on a very big budget, but still quite horrible to watch. And people were like, why have you given this man money to make such filth? That kind (laughs) of thing. Moral Um, outrage. Yes. Um, but of course, David Cronenberg has gone on to create some of the most powerful movies of all time, even stepping out of his comfort zone of horror to make films like uh, History of Violence and Eastern Promises, um, which are very much more sort of character focused films. Um, and so I think I think their money was well spent to give David Cronenberg his break in the industry. Personally, I agree. Um, I think it's more than worth it. I've um, just Googled um, worst remakes, trying to refresh my memory. 
Um, one that seems to be coming up a lot is Footloose. I've not, I've not actually ever seen the original or the new one, but maybe <laughs> hey, we you've should. You've not seen um, the original? No, I know it's Kevin Bacon. I know the songs and stuff. I've never just ever gotten around to watch it. Kevin Bacon, Sarah Jessica Parker. No, never seen it. So we should, we should watch that at some point as well. Maybe we could watch that both of them and then compare. Do like a remake special. Yeah, that would be quite good actually. Yeah, I'd be uh, I'd be on board with that. It's like why why remake Footloose? What possibly what could you possibly do that's radically different from the original? Remaking it now, you know, or 2011 when they remade it. Like, what's the point of that? I I did just think of a good remake. Um, the Evil Dead remake that came out a few years back is actually amazing. Um, Don't think I, I've seen it. I, I, I love the original Evil Dead movies, um, but then, yeah, they made this remake a few years ago, um, and it's awesome. It's really horrible. It's really scary. It's really tense. It's really over the top. Um, it's it's great. It's a really faithful adaptation um, of of the original film, and and sort of like amps it up in the best possible ways. Um, however, I have just realised. Uh, a couple of of other terrible remakes which i really hate um you've got uh got the remake of robocop oh of course you, yeah as you know and as i have mentioned many times on this podcast <laughs> i love a bit of robocop well, you've talked about robocop um, quite a lot on a podcast that's ostensibly about romantic films <laughs> <laughs> robocop's a romantic film Robo-Cop. he says knowing that it it, romance cop exactly I, robocop actually doesn't have any romance in it whatsoever does it there's literally no so, romance no, no. Well, that depends on how you feel about the gesture of shooting someone in the dick obviously it could be taken <laughs> as a mean, sign of affection it's an act of love um and then uh paul verhoeven's other great sci-fi uh movie total recall got oh. uh, got a pretty awful remake a few years back Hmm. um of course they're then they're also remaking starship troopers i think which is going to be atrocious um so yeah sucks to be paul verhoeven although i guess he's going to be making a fair bit of money out of it yeah so swings and roundabouts just that those are just cynical cash-ins aren't they i think that's the thing with the remake if there's no vision and it's a cynical cash-in it's going to be shit yeah and and like i think with robocop they kind of tried to do something with it but like it, it it totally bombed. It was it failed across the board. I I only watched it recently actually, um, because I couldn't bear to watch it when it came out. I was like, no, I can't. I can't deal with this this movie that's getting really bad reviews. Um, but and and yeah, it's not. It's it's not a good film. Um, uh, it's it's yeah, it's it's not great. Um, I I've found another one as well, which is the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with Johnny Depp. Um, oh yeah, it, that's it's bad. A, it's a Tim Burton, isn't it? It is, yeah. See, I again, I understand that. I don't think that the failure of that is to do with the with it being a cynical cash attempt to cash in. I think that that is genuinely um, an attempt to by Tim Burton to reimagine it in his own image. It's just that his own image is stupid. <laughs> yeah, he. It, it's clearly not a cynical attempt to cash in. It's clearly made with love and care, but it's still a bad movie. 
uh, I, I don't like it at all. I, I think I think my main problem with it is Johnny Depp, though. I think Johnny Depp yeah. in that movie is absolutely atrocious. And maybe if they'd had someone different and they tried to do Willy Wonka in a different way, it could have worked. Yeah, because he's not um, supposed to be creepy. A lot of people interpret the original performance by Gene Wilder as being creepy, and I don't think it is. I think he just comes across as sort of kindly but stern and firm. And there's all this kind of weird infrastructure and socioeconomic stuff going on behind the scenes um, and it's all a bit allegorical but a lot of people have interpreted it as, as being being creepy and then obviously Tim Burton and Johnny Depp took that in, and made that into one of their everything is creepy because it's quirky yeah guys as they do and <laughs> yeah they made they made a film of it and it's bad see what See the way that I feel about Gene Wilder in it is is he he's just a jerk to these kids that he doesn't like and yeah. and I really appreciate that. I find that really funny. And and like that's my main takeaway from that movie is just like ah oh, Gene Wilder's being such a jerk to these dick kids. Love it. Yeah. Um the idiot kids get their comeuppance. They do and that's great. And yeah, like like I I generally like Tim Burton up to and including Sleepy Hollow. And like Sleepy Hollow, I think, is a great movie. Um, and then sort of like you get a steady like regression after that point. Kind of like Johnny Depp, actually. Yeah, um, I agree. And I I don't want to get too deep into the can you separate the art from the artist thing because we could be here for the rest of the time that we do this podcast. But with Johnny Depp, since it came out that he beat his wife... I just I'm disgusted by him and I can't watch him and like anything that I see him in I'm like why is that guy still getting work and this that whatever but it, it now applies retro retroactively as well if I see any film where he's in it I'm like fuck that guy I can't watch that guy you know but I, for some other actors that might not have been the case I I might have been like yeah okay he's a bad guy he did that I don't defend him as a person but I appreciate this performance but with him I think maybe I was never wedded to him I never really was into the cult of depth so I'm able to strike him off yeah it's it, it has really tarnished him for me as well um, I find it very like there's some things that I can kind of overlook, but there's other things that I really find it difficult to overcome. Um, and like that kind of thing is something that I'll, I'll never be able to watch a movie with him in, in the same way, I think, which is a real shame because I used to very much enjoy his performances. Um, but yeah, it is, it is, yeah. it is sad. But as far as I'm aware, Jeff Goldblum is all right. I don't think he's, he's dressed up as a pirate in a bad movie no he seems all right he hasn't he seems like a good chap he actually i think would have made a better captain jack sparrow than johnny depp now that you mention it i'd never thought of that but he could have done that (laughs) done that kind of weird swaggering thing quite well i reckon he could have i think yeah if you got jeff goldblum back in his back in his peak performance days back at his handsome best i think he would have been a great crazy pirate captain yeah. Um and can can we just have a moment to appreciate just how damn sexy Jeff Goldblum is in this movie when he takes his shirt off. Yeah. He is in he's in great shape. He is buff. And you, you get to see the sort you get to see sort of half of his bum, don't you, at one point. You do, yeah. There's there there's a couple of sex scenes in this movie. Um Again, not gratuitous, not overdone, but no. they do fit well with the, the romantic development. 
they 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 do indeed and like uh, the one thing that i wish is um you know you had a bit of uh, the music from the room in the background in some of those scenes <laughs> i actually i made a note that actually the music in this film there's not that much of it which i think contributes to the realism but not the kind of the scary sort of horror jab jabbing music which obviously serves its purpose the kind of general music like or the the music in some of the romantic scenes weirdly sounds like the music in the room but the room the music in the room that plays over the stock footage yeah yeah i know what you that mean that occurred to me it's I was like, this music's a it. bit a bit tommy wiseau ish <laughs> yeah exactly right although it, it works incredibly well in this film i think the overall sound design i think is perfect um, yeah it's, it's yeah it's, it's really it's good great. actually again like the sound and the makeup are the things that you don't necessarily immediately think about but that i think in this film really make a big a big difference yeah and and, and i think it just goes to show how well put together this movie was so like you've got two relatively unknowns in the lead roles in in um jeff goldblum and gina davis neither of them had done anything that big at this point and and this this was kind of like the movie that cemented their place in hollywood both of them um and then you've got like incredibly well put together um horror set pieces incredibly well put together sets perfectly designed makeup and like an incredibly tight script that like ticks all of the boxes basically it's a great it's a great movie from start to finish um but like everything builds towards the transformation scenes and like you can see why it won an oscar can't you yeah it's 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 horrible but amazing the way that they've sort of built it so like initially when jeff goldblum comes out of the the teleporter he seems fine then very soon after that he feels like he's better than he was before he's stronger he's faster he's got more energy um but before too long he he starts deteriorating and like it starts a very minor thing so i think the first thing you see is that his skin's looking a bit sort of like spotty on his face he, he looks like he's got bad skin on his face and that's kind of the first thing that you sort of take away and think oh he's not looking too great right now and he's got that scar um, on his back from lying on a microchip and these like fly hairs start growing through which is pretty foul yeah yeah it's 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 really horrible and it starts with those minor things before sort of like things start getting worse and when they do <laughs> it, it, it's kind of like you want to keep a bucket by the side of the sofa whilst you're watching it really don't you and just he, in case he becomes kind of manic and he pushes her away but obviously she comes back and tries to help because she's compassionate and you really get a sense of her as a compassionate person and a compassionate character and in fact it's you you think in, in a way it's amazing that she keeps going back and it shows you that she does really care about him when up until that point you weren't 100 percent sure or i wasn't anyway like what she was getting out of it what she saw in him or that kind of thing yeah because to begin with you've got this kind of you, you kind of think mm, is she just in it for this story and like you get these hints that she's she she initially kind of went along with it just for this story but then like you can see that there's like a sexual tension that grows and then genuine attachment um but so for instance i mean i don't know how you'd feel about eating a steak that had been sent through an experimental teleportation device <laughs> uh, I, I'd, I'd eat it 
I, I don't know if I like if Katie had built a teleportation device and sent a steak for him. It's like, oh, Rob, eat this steak. I'm not sure whether I would or whether I'd be like, have you sent it off to like a lab to be tested first? I don't want to like explode. Um, I'd, I'd try a little bite. Yeah, whereas whereas like she's quite happy to help out, like initially a little bit hesitant, but then she she quite happily goes ahead and eats it, um, and things like that. And so you kind of get the sense, oh yeah, she is sort of like she's in this for more than simply for the story, um, but you don't really know to what extent until she does come back after she's she's been thrown out by him quite aggressively, um, and then he's he's started going through this awful transformation. Um, with like his fingernails coming off his teeth falling out things like that um and it leads to like a scene that i find really emotionally impactful and that i find quite difficult to watch where she doesn't want to leave him she wants to try and help him but it's clear in his mind by that point that it's too late for him to maintain his humanity in the same extent as he had it before yeah, and he asks um, her, um, there's, there's, he's staring up at her and he goes, help me be human. And it's, it's little things like that that kind of he keeps pulling her back in. It's really, yeah, it's really powerfully done. It's a it's a very, it's quite an off-the-wall way to look at love and romance, but it's very powerful. Yeah, I mean, I think may, maybe like this film resonates with me because it's about, you know, uh, a, an ambitious and creative woman who gets stuck with a grotesque fly man and it just reminds me too much of every single relationship i've been in um but uh yeah it's it's like yeah that there's that great uh there's that great scene between them where he he says to her like uh have you ever heard of insect politics neither have i yeah. in insects don't have politics they're very brutal no compassion no compromise we can't trust the insect i'd like to become the first insect politician um and it's like and you can see that his mind is starting to deteriorate at that point, but like, he's still trying to sort of like explain, he's explaining to a human what it is to be an insect as his own humanity is deteriorating. Um, and like, I think it, it, it leads to, to the best line in the movie, um, where he says, uh, I'm saying I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it, but now mm. the dream is over and the insect is awake. And it's clear from that that like his his um his emotions are going, and that all that's left basically is just the raw nature of the insect, just relying sho- solely on impulse um and the danger that comes with it um and yes and and then sort of like she she then has to leave at that point, and it's really horrible to watch um and like as far as she's concerned by that point and then that's that's it and 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 it's over and then there's nothing further that can be done to help him um and then obviously you do get the final scene with sort of like the big dramatic finale and everything like that but th- like that's kind of like the point where you realize that there's there's no way that this movie's going to have a happy ending you know yeah there's only one way that it could go really although there, yeah. again the, what I said about peaks and troughs is giving you hope. He's saying that he realizes that if he can get enough human DNA into the teleporter with him to dilute the percentage of fly, eventually he can become more human, but he can't practically work, make it happen. And he just becomes the grotesque fly thing. And then he gets 
shot and uh, dies. Yeah, it's 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 very sad at the end of this movie. And like it's weird because you kind of maintain your sympathy for Seth Brundle even after he becomes a creepy fly monster that like captures his pregnant girlfriend and is about to throw her through a teleporter to merge them into one horrible fly human baby being. Yeah. And and it's it's yeah, it's it even even at that point after that's gone wrong and after after he's sort of like he's lying there um the, the basically what happens is uh she gets kidnapped by him and gets taken back where he explains that he's going to merge them together um into one being to try and regain some of that humanity again um and he uh he he puts her into one of the one of the teleportation machines. He's now rigged it so that there's three machines, and so the two teleporters will will merge into one teleporter at the end. Um, and uh, Stathis Borens, he um, great name. He is it is a great name, isn't it? He he turns up at the lab and he's got a shotgun and he's gonna um, he's gonna rescue her, um, but it doesn't quite go to plan for old stathis and like he he ends up getting partially eaten yeah um by by the fly monster he pukes the nasty poisonous fly vomit on him and it burns off some of him (laughs) that's pretty yeah it burns burns off his hand and burns off part of his leg in a very like horrible on point scene and it's really grotesque and it's just like oh god i don't need to watch this um but uh but he survives and so when the when this merging process has started before it finishes he manages to sort of like damage the pods and get Gina Davis out um but it basically ends up transforming and like merging uh Brundlefly uh, with one of the teleportation pods and what comes out of the other end is one of the most horrible things I think I've ever seen in a movie where it's like this horrible biomechanical monstrosity with a fly head yeah. that sort of like crawls out and again it's like it, it's a really striking image and something that you don't really see in movies ever is that kind of thing and like it's only really in like the works of David Cronenberg and and John Carpenter where you kind of see this kind of stuff and no no real directors have really kind of taken that on um apart from these these few names um and so it sort of crawls out and it basically asks to be killed by Gina Davis who then kills it and then that's the end of the movie it's still um, got the the big eyes of the the previous fly monster that kind of yeah i don't know yeah. what it is about big eyes and kind of cuteness but it's like it's still got that weird empathetic cuteness about it that makes you want to take pity on it even though it's so disgusting yeah it's, it's one of the most horrible things you'll ever watch but you still kind of want to give it a pat on the head and give it a bonio yeah or something like that <laughs> it, it's it's yeah it's um yeah it's it, it's really well done it's it the, the, you can't get around how well done this movie is yeah um stathos is a really interesting character as well because at first you hate him because he's like he's like a pervy boss ex, jealous ex, trying to get her back, being a dick. And then over the course of the film, as kind of she has her peaks and troughs in her relationship with Seth Brundle, he Staff is sort of weirdly is there for her and is there for her more and more as the film goes on. 
um, and you feel like he's not just in it for himself, but it takes so long for that aspect of his character to disappear that when it does, the payoff is greater. And it, it's, it's really interesting how his character evolves in that way. But other than those three, there aren't that many characters. It's almost like it's a triangle between those three people, basically, that then is, is concluded with madness and death. Yeah, it's, it's your classic love triangle movie. The will they, won't they, will he turn into a giant fly monster? You know, your usual thing. Um, it's it, but yeah, you're right about you're right about Stathis. Is like you kind of start warming up to him just before he gets grotesquely, uh, partially eaten by a giant fly. And it's just like, oh, Stathis, man, sad times. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 an it's an interesting one. I think it, it's the kind of movie that if you've not seen it you totally should because it doesn't play out how you'd expect it to at all no it's it's a very it's a very unique film and like often its reputation doesn't include how strong the characters are and how strong the romantic focus of the movie really is and you know we've spoiled the plot for you if you've listened this far and you haven't seen it but really it doesn't really matter it's more about the the payoffs that you get through the characterization and the development and everything that we can't spoil for you it's still yeah well worth seeing even if you know bits of what's going to happen in the plot it's very good i yeah. highly recommend it yeah for sure um have you got anything anything else you'd like to you like to say about no only that on the the google search just now um when it said worst remakes um scroll down to the bottom and google start you know it starts throwing other content at you it says found in related search good movies to remake the fly and the thing are the top two oh okay but they they i think maybe did they try to remake the fly and it never got off the ground or i actually have no idea um i think i heard rumblings but again it's like you could do it, but what would be the point in remaking it? Because the original is so good and still holds up well. It hasn't dated in the way that the 50s version probably has. Although, as I said, I would like Darren Aronofsky to remake it with Shia LaBeouf. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd be on board with that. I I totally like a, a Guillermo del Toro version of this movie, I think, could work very well. Yeah. If he was allowed to do whatever he wanted with it. Um, Guillermo del Toro's latest film um, is a romantic movie about a a scientist who likes porking a giant fish man all right i'm down um, with that which i'm totally i totally want to watch apparently it's amazing it's got really good reception so far from people who've cool. like, seen pre-screenings and things like that yeah um guillermo del toro is someone as well i think is really really good at making you feel empathy for the hideous horror creations in his films in Pan's Labyrinth especially you felt huge empathy for the monsters and and that kind of thing and there was a real and the, and the orphanage as well there was such a huge sense of sort of weird nostalgia empathetic nostalgia to them that I haven't felt for any other film I think he's he's got a really unique way of getting that kind of thing across in his filmmaking and I really like his work as I said I'm not a huge horror horror guy but I really like his work he's a, he's a great director um one thing that I'm forever sad about is that he was going to make um, a an adaptation of um, the Mountains of Madness, the um, H.P. Lovecraft story. Um, however, Ridley Scott he released Prometheus, and everybody hated Prometheus, 
Um, mm-hmm. And basically, a lot of the story points of Prometheus are very similar to to the Mountains of Madness. It's clear that like there was some inspiration taken by Ridley Scott when he was creating Prometheus, uh, so much so that people kind of got cold feet about Guillermo del Toro's adaptation, including himself, when he was like, well, we've already seen one movie that's effectively that kind of film. It didn't go down too well. I won't be able to make it the way that I wanted to make it because I wanted it to be like R-rated. And so the the project was ultimately shelved and it's just like, oh, that would have been like his, it would have been a perfect movie for him to create. Um, But we're just never going to see it anymore, which is really sad because it's a great, it's a great story and he'd be the perfect director for it. Um, One of the few people to kind of get that level of cosmic horror um but at least we now have a movie co- about a romance between a fish man and and a lady uh, yeah it's called the shape of water i recommend people watch the trailer apparently it's really good and so yeah i'm looking forward to seeing it cool that sounds that sounds great the only um, other thing so- i wanted to tell you about the fly was that apparently they made a sequel a couple of years later and i obviously haven't seen it have you seen it no, I haven't. <laughs> I've I've kind of been tempted to check it out, but I can't I can't bring myself to. I read the plot, and the plot actually sounds okay. But yeah, it's it's obviously a dodgy sequel with none of the no Cronenberg. The only Stathis um, reprising his role, but it sounds okay. It's it's Seth Brundle's son, um, who obviously is also turning into a fly, um, and also has like super accelerated age. So like when he's five, he's like he's twenty five and whatever. And then he's trying to do the same thing and to become human or whatever. It's it it doesn't sound awful as kind of tacked on sequels go. Oh, okay. Maybe I'll check it out. I was a little bit concerned. It's like, how can you make a sequel <laughs> to, to this movie? Yeah. Um, we can check yeah, that out it, another time. Yeah, maybe. Um. So so I have uh I have a couple of uh. A little extra things this to talk the, about the trivia round we need a jingle for it this is the, as well we we do need a jingle for this um so so to begin with uh i'm afraid i've got to tell you what happened to the baboon yep i'm ready um lay it on me so so seth brundle later on in the movie was getting desperate and um basically tries to work out how to sort of like help with um with sort of stopping the transformation process and how to lessen it. And so he gets onto this idea to try and splice different sources of DNA together. So he gets the remaining baboon, his mate, he gave a big hug. um, And he gets, he like catches an alley cat and puts them in it together and sends them through. And it creates this horrible monster. Um, that then attack that then attacks him and he bludgeons it to death and uh they they filmed this scene but um it didn't go over too well with test audiences who decided that it who they said that it it kind of took away from your sympathy of the character so they then took it out of the the final cut of the movie yeah interesting Um, yeah i I can see why that would have been seen as gratuitous and also not necessary because it's a really good length as well this film it was only just over an hour and a half i think yeah, it's nice and punchy. It, it doesn't feel as though it's missing anything, really, does it? So I'm glad they they took it out. 
um it's yeah it's um i don't think it necessarily would have added much uh <laughs> added much to the movie if they'd kept it in um originally uh tim burton was scheduled to direct or it no was way. one of the ideas that they'd kind of pushed at him this would have been his like a very early movie for him um and a long-time Tim Burton um, collaborator, Michael Keaton, was offered the role of Seth Brundle, but he turned it down. No way. Um, and I think, like, he could have been a good fit, but I don't, I can't see anybody other than Jeff Goldblum in this movie, to be he, perfectly honest. He hasn't got the bug eyes, has he, Michael Keaton? No, no. He's not got that intensity to him um, that I think really comes across. Um, There's something about Jeff Goldblum's demeanor that is in, you know, the, the majority of his films. His character in Jurassic Park is actually relatively similar, which was my first experience of him. He think, well, he's just playing a kind of scientist who who talks like this, and he's very very animated, and he's always kind of quite measured like this, like he has so much to say. But you realize that he's actually really like that. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what he's like. <laughs> he's great. I I love Jeff Goldblum. He is excellent. Um, and another person who could have got the role was Mel Gibson. <laughs> can you imagine Mel Gibson as a scientist? No I don't way. think I can. No, actually, you know who, who it should have been? Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Nicolas Cage. Um, I Mel Gibson is sort of like the proto Nicolas Cage, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I think I think he's got more of a. I, I think Nicolas Cage has more of a schlocky quality to his acting. Yeah, um, but if it was a sort of a bad film, a sort of sloppily, hastily thrown together horror sci-fi film that didn't do the romance properly and just kind of wanted to sort of rush itself out cheaply, they got someone like Nicolas Cage. Yeah, yeah, I think that. Uh, he 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 would have been a good fit for a bad if they if they did like a bad late nineties remake. Yeah. Nicolas Cage would have been the perfect fit. If it hadn't been a director with vision like David Cronenberg, you'd have ended up with a a cage type. So so when Michael Bay makes <laughs> makes his version of the fly. Oh no. Michael Bay's the fly. <laughs> oh my god. That's going to give me nightmares more than the movie itself. There'll be monkey cat toys with your McDonald's Happy Meal. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. They'd make a little mascot out of the monkey cat. It would go okay and it would be really cute. Yeah. Um, you, would you like to know what the fly's vomit was made out of? Sure. It looked like PVA glue to me. It was apparently honey, eggs and milk mixed together. Oh, okay. I guess that's not so bad. Yeah, which is all right. I will imagine underneath the lights of a movie set, yeah, probably might get a bit horrid, sickly. But um, but yeah, it uh, yeah. So so, but I'm sure like the first take or two, that would probably be all right. Yeah, it would, that would taste sweet at least. If you don't mind sort of creamy and sweet things, then I think you'd be all right. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um. But yeah, so that was it in terms of uh, the the little trivia. Um, the only other thing I'd say is that David Cronenberg's son um, has directed as well. Oh, cool! Um, he's he's only done one full length 
movie um which kind of follows quite well in his in his father's footsteps it's a, another kind of like body horror with like overtones of major themes and this one's it's called antiviral and it's kind of like a it's to do with like celebrity culture basically where um where people can go to a store uh, it's in a world where cloning and like genetic engineering has become like the norm um and you can go to this shop and you can get uh the specific illness that a celebrity has so if you're like yeah. i want justin bieber's cold you can then pay money to have the same cold that justin bieber has interesting um and um this guy who works at that company um he's working on the side transferring those viruses over to a competitor basically um using himself as the host organism for them um but he ends up with this very horrible unknown disease that a celebrity has and it's all about him trying to uh is it nicholas cage's gurning disease <laughs> if only no um it's uh played by the, the it's a, it's the disease that this um uh, actor i think it is in it uh, played by sarah gadden who i don't know if you know no. but she's in she's been in uh movies like enemy and the dangerous method and things like that hmm. um she's very good um but then uh yeah basically she hit uh the the lead actor in the film he gets this horrible disease and it's all about him trying to sort of save himself before he succumbs to this illness and it's it, it's got the same sort of like nastiness that but David Cronenberg has. It's quite a good film. Um, Excellent. Um, so, shall we, shall we move on to um, onto the rating? Oh, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Let's see. How many fly hairs are poking out of the scar on Jeff Goldblum's back? Oh, I like it. That's a good one. It's nasty. Um, suitably <laughs> Cronenbergian. Suitably Cronenbergian, yeah. So so on my Jeff Goldblum, there would be 18 grotesque fly hairs sticking out of the scar on Jeff Goldblum's back. Wow. That's... All of them all of them wiggling slightly. <laughs> Shaking in the breeze. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um I I'm gonna go seventeen, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I I yeah, I feel like 18, 19 and 20 has to be something that that's like going to stay with me for the rest of my life that I like really really love and maybe I don't know that it's because it's not the kind of thing I'd necessarily gravitate to. I don't know if I would go that high, but 17 is still pretty high. So I still really really enjoyed it. Was really captivated by it and there's a lot to to love ab- love about it as well and it's just a great piece of film, great storytelling. It's yeah. It's an excellent film. It is. It even if you think that this isn't the kind of movie that you'd normally watch, I'd highly recommend seeing it. It's, Definitely, it's really good. If you consider yourself to be interested in romance or to be interested in the kind of films that we discuss, I mean, then but not a horror or sci-fi person, then you know, try and put your squeamishness aside if that's the thing that's putting you off, and just enjoy it for what it is as a great kind of engaging romantic plot. You won't be disappointed. Yeah, for sure. Um, on top of that, Jeff Goldblum is sexy in this movie until he starts transforming into a fly, or even after that, if that's your kind of thing. Um, yeah. So it's 
if 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 your fetish is for people turning into giant flies, then this is the movie for you. If not, you get to see a very handsome Jeff Goldblum with his shirt off. He is, and he is stacked. Yeah, he's he's ripped. He's great. I yeah. need to get on whatever diet and exercise regime he was on to get into this movie. Yeah, I need to merge my DNA with a fly, but make sure it never goes past the first week of the DNA transformation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Give me give me the first couple of days, and then I'm I'm golden. And then after that, you can leave out the like teeth falling out, please. Yeah, not down with that. No, no, definitely not. Cool. All right, so next up we have either which of the next two uh, uh, do you want to do next? Ooh, um, since we've talked about him quite a lot in this episode, shall we go on to Crimson Peak, directed by Guillermo del Toro? How does that sound? Sounds great. Yeah, good call. I thought you were going to say, since we've talked about him quite a lot, let's move on to Darren Aronofsky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you've got to go and watch mother paddy and then yeah. we can talk about mother oh i can't because i'd have to pay money to see it <laughs> i can give you a rendition i'll i'll be every character and explain every step of the plot to you i would i would very much enjoy that actually i want you to i want you to film that film that in your spare time and send it to me cool okay i'll do i'll do like a five minute version of mother <laughs> mother cool mother <laughs> All right, so next up will be Crimson Peak as we continue yes. our month of horror, scary, romantic goodness. Yes. Uh, Spooky yeah, romance. So make sure, to, make sure to listen in. If you dare. Ooh. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Excellent work there, Paddy. Love it. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, if you have anything to share with us, as always, tweet us at bigboysdontpod. Um, email us at bigboysdontcrypodcast at gmail.com how do you what do you like in your horror and your romance do you do you steer clear of horror do you like both how do you feel about it you know let us know we'd love to hear from you do you find Jeff Goldblum attractive do you find him more or less attractive after he's turned into a fly <laughs> if you could be spliced with any animal which animal would you be spliced with <laughs> a monkey cat <laughs> Would you like to see a monkey cat? Yeah. Do you think a monkey cat would be cute or do you think it would be horrible? Mm. Can, can it be both? Curable yeah. or cute? <laughs> cute. Man, that's a, <laughs> that's a cute. No, I would like to be merged with uh, Shia LaBeouf. I could see that happening. <laughs> you, you just have like his curly hairs poking out every so often and that would be the first <laughs> yeah. sign of the transformation. From the scar on my back. Yeah. And every so often I just <laughs> jump up and go, just do it. <laughs> I think I'd like to be spliced with Jeff Goldblum. I, Not I, as a fly man, but just as him. No, just him. I could see that. You get you get ripped. And also you get his outfits from the fly, how he always wears the same outfit every day. He has like five five parts, five different he has the same outfit ready five times in his closet because he's a science guy. You get that as well. Uh, that's great. Uh, what I'd also get from him is that I'd be Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park whenever I wanted. Yeah. Um, which would also be incredible. Who so, yeah. utters the immortal line, when you got to go, you got to go. 
Oh man, that movie. Oh, good times. All right, we will hear you next week. We'll be discussing Crimson Peak. Crimson Peak. Ooh. Ooh, bye-bye. 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 Uh, very nice great stuff